Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. Hello, Centered in the City community. I am so excited and honored to be bringing the podcast back. Thank you for everybody for your messages, your notes, sharing how much you love and value this podcast. It gives me fuel to keep going, to keep creating, and hoping that it supports you with you wherever you are in your life. This season, I am going to kick off the first episode sharing some of my thoughts and noticings and takeaways from my month-long silent meditation retreat. I sound a little extra nasaled and a little extra raspy because it is the lovely allergy season, so please bear with me. Hopefully you can understand me. I welcome you to listen to this podcast as you go on a walk, as you're cooking a meal, you're driving, something that is spacious and allows you to reflect on your own life. Settle in, get cozy, and let's get centered. My journey into this month-long silent meditation retreat began in August 2019. I got this intuitive hit that I wanted to apply to Spirit Rock's month-long silent meditation retreat. And at that point in my retreat experience, I had only done a few five-day silent meditation retreats. So to go from five days to 28 days felt a little cray-cray. But I had this intuitive hit and I didn't know really what was behind it. And I just said, you know what, put your name into the hat and if you get in, you'll figure it out. You'll decide if you want to do it or not. So I just did it. It was really interesting to watch my mind want to apply because prior to 2019, I had only gone on a few silent meditation retreats. And before even going on my first silent retreat, I had this belief of like, why go on silent retreats? Why go to this fake false universe to practice meditation? You know, I want to be practicing meditation and mindfulness in my modern day life because that's where I am. That's where I want to get better at being present. But after going on retreats, I realized it is such a gift to enter this container that's silent, that has no distractions of our phones, of news, of technology, of speaking, of needing to befriend people or have that kind of social pressure to be social or to have to take care of other people or family members. And it was such a gift to enter these retreat centers because your job is just to listen to yourself. Your job is just to pay attention. Your job is to notice internal and external occurrences. And I realized that when we go on retreat, we're actually creating conditions so that we can hear and feel with more clarity. And with that clarity comes deeper insight and awareness. 
And with that awareness, we can then create different choices and actions in life or show up in a more uh, aligned way or show up with more love in this world or equanimity or compassion. And as a side note, you know, this is where I got some of my inspiration for Centered in the City was creating, helping people build these daily rituals and practices so they could be like these mini retreats for ourselves. You know, to make sure that we're creating some sacred refuge space in our loud, busy world to connect to self more intentionally so that we can be more present and connect to our life more intentionally. When I got this intuitive hit to apply for a month, it felt so out of comprehension. But again, I just was like, all right, you applied, you'll figure it out. Fast forward to December 2019, I got in and my husband and I had to make a choice because we already had this opportunity kind of percolating in Buenos Aires, Argentina for us to go experience and explore. And I had to decide if I was going to Buenos Aires in March or if I was going to do the silent meditation retreat in March. And I decided and my husband and I decided that we're going to go to Buenos Aires. Now, we all know what happened in March 2020, right? The world got thrown upside down. Everybody's plans and dreams and hopes got paused or shifted or shut down or altered. So my husband and I returned back from Buenos Aires in mid-March because the borders were closing. And I later found out that people who had attended that March month-long silent meditation retreat were sent home early as well because of course, everything was shutting down. So I look back and I'm like, wow, if I had said yes to that March long retreat back in 2020, I, A, wouldn't have been able to finish the month long. B, I feel like the worst nightmare would have happened, right? A pandemic was happening outside of this retreat bubble and I didn't know it was going on until everything had to be shut down and sent home. And so I look back and I'm like, you know what? The universe had my back that was meant to be that I go this year in 2022. I applied again in August of 2021 and I got in on December 31st to attend this month-long retreat this past March. And one of the questions that I got from a community member at Center of the City was, how did you block off a month? You know, like how did you take that time out of your life, out of your business? And I'll do a more in-depth episode around that. But high level is I had this on my calendar as something I wanted to do. It was intentionally blocked out. It was part of my 2022's intention setting plan. And I had it sacredly blocked off and I knew that if I didn't get in, I could always open up my schedule, but it's harder to cancel things. So energetically, mentally, everything was blocked off, communicated with my husband, communicated with friends and family members. When I got in, it was like, okay, this is officially happening. So fast forward to about five days before I'm heading on this retreat. My husband and I were just transitioning back after living abroad and working abroad in Mexico for the month of February. And I only had five days to pack, to get ready, to help set up things in my business, to transition me to this month of silence and being off the grid. 
There was a lot of logistics to cover, but I felt really focused and energized and I was feeling really excited for this month-long retreat until about 24 hours before leaving, I felt this fear flood of emotion just take over and swirl throughout my mind and my body. I got really heart-achingly sad to miss my husband, even though I hadn't even left yet. You know, I was holding on to him, noticing, looking for that comfort, for that connection. I felt all of this impulse in my amygdala to control, right? I was heading into this land of uncertainty, big land of uncertainty, that I noticed my mind wanted to control. I had no idea who was I going to be on the other side of this. What was I going to feel? What was I going to experience? You know, I needed and wanted some sort of certainty. And so it was really interesting to watch that in the mind because every day, every moment is uncertain. Yet we live with this perceived reality that things are certain, but they're not. And shifting, obviously, the container into something I've never experienced before created this whole other level of, you know, what to expect because my mind didn't have a mental map of what to expect. And even though I've been to this retreat center before, I couldn't create something tangible of what it was going to be like. The closest thing my mind landed on was, you know, sleepaway camp. And I haven't been to sleepaway camp in probably like 20 years or something. Noticing that was really interesting. I'm going to talk about my takeaways and the transition home, things that I'm learning, things that I'm noticing. But first, I want to create a little bit more of a picture of where I was and the structure that a silent retreat holds if you are not familiar. So Spirit Rock is this beautiful retreat center, as I've said, in Northern California, in Marin County. And so just visualize these beautiful rolling hills and this retreat center kind of tucked in these rolling hills. So there's some hiking and walking trails and there's you know big meditation hall, in a separate building is the dining room and then there's four separate dorm buildings and we all had our own separate rooms because of COVID which was really nice and the retreat schedule is pretty much the same for 28 days there's a little bit of variation but there were moments where I was washing my hand and I remember looking up at the mirror and being like is this Groundhog's Day have I done this day before so it's very interesting when you're just so systematized and how to be present within that systematized container. Now, the structure of the retreat is really important because it holds a certain flow and it becomes really grounding for the nervous system and the mind to know what's coming. So you can just kind of rest and be held by the structure. That's another reason why rituals are so important for us in our modern day worlds is that they offer us these structure and in the flow of our day so we have something that grounds us. I like to think of them as a seatbelt that buckles us in for the potential bumpy road of living in the modern day life. Now once you kind of get into the structure you can start to alter it and take on your own intuitive wise practice whether you want to take you know your meditation practice outside or go on a hike or 
do something else. There are only a few things throughout the day that are strongly required to show up to. The typical day starts with a 5 a.m. wake up bell, followed by the first meditation sit in the meditation hall is at 5.30 to 6.30. 6.30 is breakfast, all silent. 7.15 to about 8.15 is walking meditation or if you have a morning job, that is where you do your morning job. We all had jobs to contribute and it was a really helpful way to create the container, to all be part of the container as well as to practice bringing our mindfulness practice into everyday tasks. So for instance, my job was to wash the morning pots after breakfast. So me and one other person would be in silence in the kitchen after breakfast, washing off the oatmeal and all of the pots from breakfast. And it was really helpful to to practice bringing my mindfulness practice to washing dishes because normally I'm the chef in the family and I'm not washing dishes. I'll tell you more of my takeaways from this job a little bit later. So then at 8.15, there's the first guided meditation practice of the day where there's six teachers that come into the meditation hall and each one kind of alternates with leading and facilitating that morning practice by offering some sort of teaching or practice or something to notice or play, play with for the day. Then at 9.15 to 10 a.m. is walking meditation, which you can do outside or in another meditation hall specifically designed for walking meditation. Then at 10 a.m. it was time for another meditation sit. And then at 10.45 it was an option to do more mindful walking or to do mindful movement. They had a yoga and qigong teacher on staff that would offer movement a few times a week. And then there was another meditation set and then lunchtime. And so the day kind of continued to alternate like that. A formal meditation set, walking meditation, and so forth, so on. Dinner was at 5 p.m. And then at 7.15, there was a Dharma talk. And this is where the teachers get to share some teaching from the Buddha. So I got to learn a lot more about Buddhism through these evening Dharma talks. And then afterwards, there was a walking meditation practice, and then an opportunity to do some evening chanting. And at that point, it was about 9.30, you could go to bed or you could continue to stay up and meditate as long as you'd like. The meditation hall was open 24-7, so it was really about using your own wisdom of when your mind and body and spirit wants to meditate. I was personally in bed around 9.30, 9.45 and up around 5 a.m. or so. So that's the container that you live in. Everything is silent, meaning you eat silently. You move around through the campus silently. The only times where you're encouraged to speak is when you have one-on-one meetings with your meditation teachers, which happen about every two to three days, and you're only talking to them for about 15 minutes at a time. So you might be listening to this and being like, what? I could not be silent for more than 30 minutes or I could never live without my phone or I could never be away from my family for that long. And I hear you. These are all really you know, challenging aspects of untangling from our modern day life. 
And I learned a lot of things by entering this world and these conditions that are so extreme from our modern day world. So the first one that I want to share is one, that I can do hard things. I went into this retreat feeling like I was stretching past my comfort zone, like in an uncomfortable way, in a doable but uncomfortable way. And by the end of the retreat, I felt so proud of myself, right? That I can do hard things. I can do things that my mind might think is impossible. Or I can do things that my mind doesn't have a mental map or some words or some sort of visual to explain. That I can trust myself and take that leap of faith and have the courage to do it and get on the other side of it. So that was a huge takeaway, right? I can do hard things. A question that I received from many people was, you know, why do you want to do this? Like, what are you trying to get out of doing this retreat? And you can't go into things with expectations because they never happen. So I went into this experience with an intention. And my intention was to deepen my meditation practice and to be open to what I'm there to learn and any healing that needs to happen. And let me tell you, all of that was accomplished. And I'm laughing because, you know, some of it was really unpleasant that I experienced on this retreat. And also a lot of it was really beautiful and pleasant and full of gratitude. And that's even a lesson in itself that most of our journeys is just not one thing right? It's not polarized, that we have, it's multifaceted. There are many layers to our experiences in life. And yet we tend to just distill them down to uh, it was good or it was bad or it was okay. Over the month, I had a lot of time, as you can imagine, getting to know my mind more than I ever have. And I got to realize that my mind loves to crave things, that my mind loves to find the pleasant in things, that my mind doesn't like to be with the uncomfortable, and that my mind loves to control or try to control or thinks she can control if she tries really hard. (laughs) So I'll explain all of these in more detail as well. One of the teachings that was really emphasized on this month-long retreat was to be with the thoughts, right? To notice the thoughts, to label them, and specifically to be with the suffering, right? To be with the unpleasant because as one of my teachers, Anushka, highlighted, in our world, we're so trained at looking for the shiny object can take form in the bold news headlines that try to grab our attentions or the shiny Instagram photos that we see. We're constantly being connected to people through text or emails or phone calls that take us out of our present moment because we think where they are might be better or shinier or more exciting or interesting than where we are in the present moment. So even just that teaching to pay attention to the neutral or the suffering was very enlightening and not so pleasant as you can imagine. 
So I began to recognize how my mind craves, right? Labeling the cravings that arise in my mind from food to comfort to, you know, what I hope happens in the next half an hour or hour. And so the craving mind is so strong. I was actually very interested to notice I had given up coffee before I went on this month-long retreat because I didn't want to have any kind of chemicals messing with my system. I really wanted to create this purification process in my mind and body. And I didn't crave coffee. I only had one food craving for chocolate-covered almonds and that lasted uh, just like a few minutes. So noticing like that came up and that also went away. Um, I craved my husband. Like I craved for his comfort, for his love, for our connection a lot. That was really what my heart was craving for. And that was a really interesting takeaway because I knew I was going to miss him, but I didn't know that it was going to create this heartache of missing so much. So that was a very beautiful in the moment, but also unpleasant thing in the moment to be uh, holding and experiencing. I noticed how the mind constantly wanted pleasant. And that's natural from a human perspective to want the pleasant thing, right? We want to run away from what's unpleasant, what might be dangerous to what's pleasant, right? That's from a biological, physiological perspective. But it was interesting noticing that when I am feeling something uncomfortable in the moment, how my mind tries to find something pleasant to land on. And that comes from, when I sat with that and explored that, it comes from my own survival mechanism. That was something that was trained inside of me when I was going through my quote-unquote shitstorm back in 2010 when going through chemo and at the same time losing my mother to survive. Right? When you're in such a dark place, it's really hard to just sit with the darkness all of the time. And so it can be wise and it can be skillful to train our brains and our senses to look for what's pleasant to look for also the gratitude in the moment. And so I saw that coming up for myself. And when I explored that with my meditation teacher, we discussed how it can be wise, you know, in those moments when we need some more balancing in our system. But if it's over-practiced, which it was inside of me, we then can enter a state of constantly being a little bit delusional and how it's a bigger skill for us to then be able to have the capacity to be with the unpleasant and the neutral because most of life is unpleasant or neutral and specifically neutral and yet how we're so used to being with the extremes of life and so Could I just practice being with neutral instead of trying to cling or find the pleasant? My teacher Anushka also recommended that I make metta and compassion and equanimity practices my main meditation for the retreat as a way to help balance out the mind, to stay out of fear, and at the same time to not be in delusion, but to connect to an open heart. 
That's what I made as my main practice throughout the retreat, and it also helped me transition back to modern day life when interacting with the news. A way to be with neutral or unpleasant that is so prevalent in our news, but to not ignore it, to be with it, and to maintain an open heart with it is essential. So if you're curious to learn more about that, head on over to Instagram and follow along at OneWade and uh, check it out. Check out the practice and let me know what you also do to help titrate the news these days. So that was a really big takeaway and noticing. For you listening, you know, maybe I welcome you to notice, like where do you notice your own craving mind? Or where do you notice your mind wants pleasant Or where is your mind experiencing unpleasant? Another takeaway I had that was already apparent to me, but I just felt it in a bigger, visceral way and a reaffirming way, is that our body tells us more than our mind. Our brains, our minds are so good at making shit up. We are meaning-making machines, and that happens in the mind. And our mind is really good about being in the future, right? Trying to plan or trying to strategize or trying to keep us safe. Or it's really good about ruminating in the past, about what we could have done better as a form of protection. And, And it's really hard for our mind to be in the present moment. Yet our bodies are in the present moment, wherever we are. And so the body actually holds so much insight and wisdom. And so on the retreat, I got to listen to my body on a deeper level, right? Without external distraction and noise. And it was particularly interesting in the beginning of the retreat because it took about four days for me to fully arrive. I noticed how much pace fast pace was in me. And I think this was not only because I was transitioning from Mexico, but transitioning from this, you know, modern world to the slower controlled container. And so I felt the busy pace in my body. And it took me four days to fully unwind. I had so much physical tension and pain in my neck, in my shoulders, in my jaw. It felt so uncomfortable to sit in formal meditation practice and be with the pain. But when I just did it, when I allowed myself to be with my pain, be with the physical discomfort, it slowly started to soften and unwind and untangle. And it was helpful to do some mindful movement and stretching and mindful walking, right, to balance it all out. But the body was telling me how tired I was and how tense and how much energy was trapped there. And even for me, and I take myself as somebody who's very intuitive with my body, it was just interesting to peel back this layer and to feel her a little bit deeper and differently. And I say this because, you know, even as you're listening to this podcast right now, what is your body telling you or trying to teach you? If you were to tune in to listen, what would they say to you? And how that's a skill in itself just to listen to our bodies and get out of our heads. So that was a huge takeaway. Another takeaway 
connecting to the controlling mind and connecting to the body wisdom and insight is I noticed at the end of the retreat, we were offered an opportunity to slowly start to bring speech back into our life. So a few days prior to our last day, anybody who was ready to start speaking, we were encouraged just to speak for about 10 minutes. So again, kind of titrating it back into our systems was welcome to meet at a specific bench on property. And that was kind of a symbol, a gesture of, hey, I'm open to speaking. And anybody else who walked by that bench who also wanted to speak could approach them. So I noticed when the teachers gave these instructions, how my mind went to, oh, I'm not speaking today. I'm not ready for that. Uh, Maybe I'll do that later or maybe I'll do that tomorrow. But nope, I'm not ready. And so my mind created a rule, right? It like wanted to control and it just created a rule. Kind of like this wall went up of nope, not doing it. Like shut down. And so I watched that happen. And then later in the day, I was on a walk and I passed the benches where this, you know, communication is being offered And I noticed a woman was sitting there waiting for somebody else to join. And my body said, go talk to her. Like my intuition was like, start a conversation with her. You're ready. And my mind said, no, but I listened to my body. And so I approached her and we had our 10-minute conversation together. And that was the first time that I heard my voice. And I noticed that hearing my voice out loud was kind of weird for the first time, right? I've been hearing it in my head by myself for 28 days and here it was, I was was hearing it out loud. And so that was an interesting noticing. But when I spoke to her and I connected, I was so glad I did because we had a lot in common and we actually formed this deeper connection and wanted to connect further after the retreat was over. And if I had listened to my mind, I would have kept blinders on and walked right by her and not allowed myself to be open to that connection. And so how grateful I am to listen to my body, listen to my intuition that actually said I was ready to connect. I didn't need to follow this controlling pattern in the brain When the moment came to be, I could actually do the right thing. So that was a really big lesson and a lesson that I'm integrating back into my modern day life of when I notice how much I want to plan, plan my weekend, plan the months ahead. You know, some of it's skillful. We need to plan, right? We need that communication and the organization to move forward, to reach our goals. But there's also a balance to being present in the moment to make a decision. It's kind of one of the reasons I don't like doing meal plans for the week because I don't know if I'm going to want spaghetti on a Wednesday night. You know, I don't know if I'm going to want tacos on Tuesday. I like to be in the present moment to see what my body is hungry for. And that is a really helpful practice for me in mindful eating. So that was just interesting to notice and speaking felt weird. It felt uncomfortable. And another takeaway I've had is how less is more in so many ways. How less is more in speaking and words. I've been actually having a really hard time recording this podcast because I feel like I'm sharing too many words at you. Um, 
And, you know, it's like less is more in thinking about our lives, like how nice it was to live in simple conditions for a month where clothes were more simple, where I didn't have a huge closet to choose from, where I wasn't needing to make plans all the time, where I got to eat simple food, nothing super heavy or greasy or overly saucy. (laughs) Um, You know, so just how simple is really lovely and how our modern day world likes to make everything really overcomplicated and extra sparkly and extra saucy and how that's also fun sometimes and delightful. But for an everyday lifestyle, it's too much for me, too much. And so I'm really exploring, you know, what does simple really get to look like in our lives? And because I have a partner, we get to co-create that. And what does that get to look like? How can we simplify things? Another takeaway in this theme of communication and simplicity is how powerful nonverbal communication is. I mentioned that my pot washing buddy for my morning job was a powerful practice in understanding my mind, my human tendencies in a different way than on the cushion. So for instance, the first day or two of pot washing together, we would alternate, you know, who's washing the pots, who's rinsing the pots, and whoever would rinse the pots would also dry and put the pots away. So we would kind of alternate those roles. And when I was on the rinsing and drying duty, I would watch my buddy wash the pots and notice how my mind again wanted to control, wanted to be like, oh, do this, do that. This is the way you should do it. And so it was so funny to me watching these thoughts in my mind. And I had a laugh because it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I am controlling. And where else in my life is this showing up? You know, in the micromanaging of my husband cooking or my husband doing certain things or, you know, with friends or however else with family members. So it was a really, you know, fun feedback to get with my pot washing buddy. And I'll just reiterate or clarify for anybody who's wondering, you know, we're not speaking to each other. So all of these thoughts are just in my mind and I'm noticing them come up and come up. And it's a powerful practice to just notice the thoughts but not react to them, right? So to not let my controlling mind take over and say something to my buddy, but just to watch it happen. And actually, can I just watch the thought arise and then also disappear and notice then how well we function without speaking? And we became such a strong team with hardly speaking to each other and how powerful just nonverbal communication is. Like when you are deeply present with somebody, how you can do this dance back and forth. And we would watch each other, you know, how fast is she washing the pots and how fast or slow am I rinsing and drying the pots? And we would kind of attune to each other's speeds and rhythms. And if I was 
getting stacked with dishes. She would step in and help without me even asking for it and vice versa. And it was just this like beautiful dance of of nonverbal communication. And so thinking about how I'm taking that into my everyday life is like how can I be attuned and present to who needs support or what needs to happen without it actually being asked for or called for? You know, keeping my senses, my eyes, my ears present for something that's being called for. You know, is it a stranger on the street that needs help carrying the stroller up upstairs? Is there something that a family member you can kind of sense needs but isn't asking for it? You know, how, how can we not assume but just be attuned to where we can be of service and caring and giving for others? You know, maybe there's a coworker that you're sensing could use some more support and they're not asking for it. Just how we can continue to take care of ourselves and our people is so important. The last takeaway I'll share was about halfway into the retreat, I had a mini a panic attack one night. I was going to bed and I felt something just inside of me start to shift. I can't really explain it. I don't have that many words around it, but I started to feel a little dizzy and I started to feel something shifting inside and that kind of freaked me out. And feeling something in the body tends to spiral me to, again, some post-traumatic of of cancer of like, oh, something in my body is happening. Oh, I must be off. Oh, it must be scary, right? And then that activates the anxiety and the fear cycle. And so I noticed something was shifting inside of me. It created this panic of like, what's happening? I couldn't really feel ground, starting to swirl, And so I tried to go to sleep and it was really hard to just like sleep my way through it. And I'm, you know, kind of petting the comforter to find some softness, to create some ease in my nervous system, which helped me eventually fall fall asleep. And I share this because having a panic attack in a retreat setting was really helpful, even though it was very unpleasant. And I'd like to just say that there were people on call if anybody did have some sort of psychological need or physical need or emotional need or safety need, there was somebody on call 24-7. But I remember having some time to be with this on retreat, you know, in silence. It's not like I could call my husband or I could turn on TV or turn on music and try to find something soothing or to numb it. All I had to do, right, was be with it. And it was very unpleasant, but it was also this gift because I realized that I had this opportunity to get up close and personal with the anxiety, with the panic that happened. And it was an opportunity for me to talk to my nervous system and be with my nervous system and get curious with my nervous system. And it offered a lot of healing for me in the end. What I walked away from the retreat with was having some more space between me and my anxiety. That when I start to feel the panic arise in my nervous system, that I can watch it as if I'm watching the weather happening in the sky. Right? I can feel it. Oh, like heat building or tightening happening in my chest or 
tightening happening around my mind or my fingers, when I could describe it in a way from this sense door perspective, it started to just feel like it was flowing through me and it wasn't me. I didn't have to attach myself to it. That's been really helpful transitioning back into the modern day life because I've noticed, you know, some activation in my nervous system with all of this stimulation that I'm being reintroduced to. I even noticed the other night as I was going to sleep, I started to feel some panic through my body and I just watched it and I was like, oh, this is happening just like this, but it's not me, right? And it just was a really different shift in relationship to some anxiety. So this goes back to one of the takeaways I mentioned of not pushing away the uncomfortable or the unpleasant because they typically are our biggest teachers, right? Through suffering, through these experiences comes so much wisdom and insight if we are willing to pay attention, if we are willing to get curious and notice and allow the suffering or the unpleasant experience to change us, to help us grow, to help us learn. And so I welcome you if you know, you're in this place of life where you're experiencing any unpleasantness or suffering to give yourself permission to be with it, to allow it to teach you, to get curious, maybe even to say, what are you here to teach me? Or I'm here to listen and learn. And just to notice what comes up, right? Even asking these questions of what wants to be known in this moment and giving yourself that permission to get curious, to pay attention because we get so good about numbing out and distracting. And if you need support, make sure you reach out for support, whether that's with a therapist or a mindfulness coach or anyone else. Thank you all for listening for allowing me to join you in this moment in time. If you're curious about going on a retreat, I really welcome you to follow that curiosity. Start with a one-day silent meditation retreat and then maybe work yourself up to three days and then maybe five days and seven days and 10 days and two weeks or a month. Or you can be like me and go from a seven-day retreat to a month-long retreat. Um, But I really welcome you to take that time for yourself if you're being called for it. Notice if you are getting that internal ping to follow some quiet, deep, reflective time. You don't have to be an experienced meditator to join most retreats. Some have prerequisites, but... Even just finding a day-long silent retreat is a really beautiful way to start. And especially in this world where we're so connected all of the time, it can be really helpful to untangle from technology every so often, you know, or even just throughout your day, can you turn your phone off and put it away so it's not the first thing you're looking at in the morning and the last thing you're looking at before bed. Various ways that we can add some of this detangling of technology into our modern day life. And of course, if you're looking to build some rituals to add into your life, like these little 
mindful moment retreats that you can host for your well-being, for your nervous system, for your mind, feel free to check out centeredinthecity.org and sign up for your seven-day free trial. And until next time, stay centered. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. This helps us get this podcast into more people's ears and hearts, as well as share this episode with anybody in your community that you know is looking for more ways to practice staying centered. And until next time, stay centered.